0: Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day to day work. Listen to their real life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. So today, I'm really pleased to welcome to the podcast, Nick Isaac. Hello, Nick.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. Now, you're not a surveyor, you're a QC.
1: I am. It's, in many ways, many, many surveyors would say that they basically think they're QCs anyway. Um, certainly policy war surveyors, I know. But yes, I'm a QC, which is uh, like a, a barrister plus. Um, you know, A
0: barrister a, plus.
1: Barrister plus. So it means... You've been a barrister for a long time and you apply to a an appointments, a QC appointments commission and you fill out a ridiculous form and you get a ridiculous number of referees who say you're actually quite good at your job. And uh, if all of that comes to fruition, you pay an awful lot of money to dress up in a silly wig and uh, get uh, two letters off your name. Know.
0: So that sounds really familiar, a bit like going through the process of getting your fellowship at the RICS, but wow. without having to wear the, uh, the fancy outfits.
1: Yes, some I think that do, sounds
0: very similar. <laughs> so um, I wanted you, uh, to, to have a chat with you today and to get you on the podcast one, because I've got to know you, which has been uh, great so over the past few months, but also because you specialise in party walls, and that's something that comes up quite regularly, actually, in the Surveyor Hub, with people talking about things that they've seen. Uh, I know you ran some masterclasses last year during the first lockdown, which uh, went down really well. People really enjoyed them. So I thought it'd be quite good to uh, to have you on. I'm afraid I know very little about Party Wolves. Well, uh, well you... I, I guess I know, I probably know more than I think, if I'm honest. But um, well, I been, say been, that.
1: You know, there's a, there's a, a large number, of, a vast majority of, not only lay people, but actually also chartered surveyors know not a great deal about party walls. So you're in good company.
0: <laughs> and, um uh, but also that gives me license to ask some really stupid questions on behalf of the students. You I know, like this is the, why I, this is why only, I do only it.
1: For the students, for the
0: <laughs> students <laughs> only for the. <laughs> so I can ask anything I like. But first of all, I mean, you mentioned about becoming a, a QC, which I, I do find quite quite interesting I, I'm always interested in people's career journeys but tell me about how you got into law and then specifically how did you get into you know boundary disputes and party wall? you know how, how did you end up specializing in something like that because it's okay, quite well in,
1: in a in a in a, a fairly potted summary I started off my journey into law by doing a languages degree obviously because that was a very sensitive doing chinese and german as a degree that seemed like a good idea at the time and i really enjoyed doing that and actually i suppose my journey into law started when my then girlfriend um, applied to do the law conversion course after we'd both graduated from with a languages degree and i didn't have anything better to do so i applied to do a the conversion course as well and uh I actually found it quite difficult. It was it was like learning a new like learning a new language actually uh, when I started doing the law. You know, we had to read a couple of cases and I remember that one of the first case, legal cases I read was a trespass case. It was a I don't remember the name of the case as it happens, but I do remember it was a trespass case and I read all of the words and I understood not very many of them at all. You know, I kind of thought I knew what the words meant, but in, in legal terms, I really didn't. So it was like learning a new language. So, um, did the conversion course. Always like the sound of my own voice. So the barristering was obviously the way to go. I'd like to say really happened into two decent pupillages. At the time, you used to do a six-month pu- first six pupillage at one set of chambers, and then a second six-month pupillage at a different set of chambers. That seems to have I don't know when that disappeared but that doesn't happen anymore.
0: Can I can I ask you what does that mean sorry pupillage, pupillage. so pupillage
1: like a, so, so after like an you,
0: apprentice
1: yes like it's very much like an apprenticeship so it's, it's it's like you spend 12 months shadowing a barrister your pupil supervisor it used to be your pupil master but it's now your pupil supervisor you know sitting in their room listening to their phone calls reading their papers attempting to write opinions and pleadings on those cases and getting critiqued by them, on them by the uh, by your pupil supervisor. So it is it's a kind of hands-on apprenticeship for 12 months, at, at the end of which you when in fact halfway through that you start doing some of your own work. You can actually appear on your own uh under your own name, on your own account, albeit still under your pupil supervisor's professional indemnity insurance. Mm. And, um, you, you know, you, you start kind of practice. Um, I didn't get taken on, uh, as a tenant, as a full-time barrister at either of the two sets that I did my pupillage at. So I ended up going to do what's called a third six, a third six months pupillage at another set of chambers, eventually got taken on there, I think in, um, November 1995, which by then was a, almost well, was a couple of years after I'd um, been called to the bar, after I'd kind of become a barrister. Practised in my first set for 10 years, and then back in 2006 moved to my current set, Tanfield Chambers, where I've been practising ever since. But on that journey, um, I, I suppose my second six-month pupillage was at a place called Falcon Chambers, which is, was and probably still remains the leading property set of chambers. And so I did lots of property law from the very outset. And that included boundaries, which I obviously still do and and still do a lot of. And for some reason, I quite enjoyed doing boundary work, whereas other people didn't seem to. So I probably did a bit more of it. And then one day I happened upon party walls, in fact, what really happened was that a colleague in Chambers who was who decided he'd had enough of property law and was going to go and do shipping law at a solicitor's firm instead, um, said to me, did I fancy doing some party war work? Because he'd been doing a bit of it and he could put me in touch with some solicitors as he walked out the door kind of thing. And he did. And I got a couple of cases. And one of them was uh, the case of Blake and Reeves, which ended up going... To the Court of Appeal, I, I don't think I had any concept at the time how rare it was for a party wall case to go to the Court of Appeal. So I just went to the Court of Appeal with it, lost, I have to say, but um, nonetheless went to the Court of Appeal, and um, and then that became a virtuous circle, which meant that I, because I knew something about party walls, I got instructed on more party wall cases, and then because I got instructed on more, I knew more, and so on and so forth, and then. After a while, I thought, well, I'm sure that there should be a, you know, really good textbook on this subject, and um, th- there was a textbook on the subject of legal, in fact, which still exists, the Bitford Smith textbook, and I thought, actually, I think I I could do a textbook which answered more questions, because people often said to me that that textbook didn't answer enough didn't really answer the questions it discussed them but it didn't answer them so I I thought I'd try and answer some of those questions and went off and spent quite a long time writing a book and and that just was kind of uh, cemented my um, position stroke knowledge on party walls and and here we are um, several several years on from the first edition on to a second edition and and I seem to have done an awful lot of party war cases in the last decade. So sorry, that was a long history, not a positive history, really.
0: Well, it it did cross my mind to say 1995, I was still in school, but I didn't. Oh, I, didn't quite mention, oh. I didn't want to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a low blow, Nick. Um, much, yeah. You um, you you talk about your career, and I don't know if it's because um, you know, because you're a QC and you you do the law oh, maybe it's just me coming from a surveyor point of view, but you don't sound particularly excited about it. Do you get excited about, you know, the juicy cases that come in front of you? Oh,
1: absolutely. My favourite bit of the job, and I always thought it would be my favourite bit of the job, and it has always been my favourite bit of the job, is actually going to court. So going to court and arguing a case. And the really exciting thing about being a barrister is, you know, standing in court, Saying whatever it is you were prepared to say, and then either a witness answers a question in a way that you didn't expect, or the judge goes off in a direction that you didn't expect, and suddenly you have to, you know, change everything that you were thinking to that moment and go off in a completely different direction, but do it as if you'd always been expecting that to happen and to have to go in that direction. And it's that kind of nail biting. Uh, roller coaster ride which you get when you're in court which actually makes the job as fascinating as it is i mean it is also really interesting sometimes to sit and read cases and you know read papers on a case that you're dealing with and to work out what you think the answer is based on the law and uh precedent and so on but for me the 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 best bit of the job the bit that you know really keeps me as excited about it 25 30 years in as I was six months in is the going to court and the judge saying something that's so Mm. absolutely unexpected that you have to think very very quickly on your feet and and deal with it that's that's the fun bit
0: and I uh, guess that's the It's almost like drama, isn't it? You know, like improv of, you know, sort of being in the room. There's a a big
1: element of performance about court room advocacy. I mean, people say that uh, criminal advocacy is where the real performance is because you're performing to a, you know, you're performing to a jury. mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you shouldn't underestimate the performative aspects of uh, appearing even in a civil court because you're you're constantly adjusting what you're saying how you're saying it your demeanor to suit the reaction of the judge of the witness of the of your other your opponent so it's a constant you know reading of the audience and uh, and, and and adjustment of what you're saying and how you're acting Um, That's
0: really, yeah, that's really interesting. So I've been really in tune with what's going on. Um, Something that I come across as I get to know more and more surveyors is how how shy some of them are, how sort of introverted some of them are. I was talking to one of my coaching clients today, lovely uh, Lady Vanessa, a surveyor, you know, and she's been filmed for TV today, you know, just for a short snippet for ITV, you know, and it's just, I just it was amazing just to see a surveyor on on TV because that doesn't doesn't happen very often, you know. But we sort of talked about how it was so out of a comfort zone to to be in that in that in that moment to give that that performance. And I guess with surveyors they don't have the client interaction like that, like they used to. So they don't have clients, you know, for example, coming onto site or coming to a property that they're that they're surveying. And maybe that's something that, that they've that they've lost. Um that's interesting that you that you say that and I'm glad you find it <laughs> find, find it juicy and exciting. Because we all have those those geeky things. Well, um okay, you that, know, at,
1: you know, I think that you know one of the I always thought that there were people who were fantastic at networking and being social butterflies and so on and that that's not something that i had at all but i do think that like lots of other things in life it it you know these are skills that you can develop over time
0: mm, and, yeah absolutely um
1: very interestingly one of the things that that i quite often say when i'm mentoring or barris- other barristers is is that you know you can be the best barrister in the country, but if you don't have any work, that's not, you know nobody's ever going to find out about that, and you won't have any work unless you have social skills that allow you to persuade people really to to instruct you, and it, it's the same for surveyors. You know, the I would say that the really successful surveyors I know have very good people skills. So they you know whether the, they weren't born with them. Um, But they've developed them over time. They've observed what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, once you have those good people skills, it really helps, I think, in any profession. But, you know, certainly as far as surveyors are concerned.
0: Yeah, but I also think there's something there about being authentic. You know, if it's not your thing to be all over social media, do you know what? You don't have to, but there are ways that you can, that you can, you know, put yourself out there because, and i particularly for the SMEs who work for themselves, you you are your business and you've got to find ways to promote yourself, talk about yourself. It's not like, um, it was like Kevin Costner and the fields of dreams, you know, build it and they will come. Well, the, student, the, the students will be wondering like, like,
1: you know i'm glad you mentioned that. It's one of my favorite films,
0: the students um, will be like googling that now who's <laughs> kevin costner but you know you've, you've you've got to put yourself out there and that does take a level of, of confidence and also confidence in your in your ability so how do the cases come to you so is these just is homeowners reaching you Has it already gone through a, a, a some kind of process
1: well um really it can be at any stage i'd say that because we're as barristers we are litigators so we are you know our specialist skills are courtroom skills you know writing documents for courts uh speaking in court that kind of thing you know we tend to be approached when things have already become fairly disputational but occasionally we get asked to do stuff which is non-contentious which is not in dispute yet and indeed the reason they're coming to us is for our drafting skills or our advisory skills to avoid ending up in a dispute but yes I think it's fair to say that probably 90% of the cases that come to me come to me because somebody has either already fallen out in a fairly major way or they're about to and yeah it's generally yeah, it, it, generally homeowners, or surveyors, or solicitors on behalf of either of those.
0: And it's such an emotive thing, isn't it? I was talking to a lawyer on a on a, a an earlier podcast, and you know, we were talking. This is at the start of lockdown, and and they was and she was saying we're starting to see an increase in in boundary disputes because everybody's at home and they're noticing what their neighbours are doing and you know have you noticed that with the the change over the last year
1: I, I had exactly the same thought at the beginning of the first lockdown that you know lockdown would be bound to increase boundary disputes but actually I think I think I'm right in saying that although I've had quite a lot of boundary disputes come to me since the beginning of lockdown, the genesis of all of those preceded lockdown. So I can't say I've seen a marked increase just as a result of of lockdown. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I totally understand why that might be the case, but it just doesn't seem to have been borne out for me personally yet.
0: I, I guess... You know, I guess there's an, yeah, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I guess there's an element of, you know, we're all having to muck in and get on with each other, yeah. you know. and, and
1: so it is, You know, so that's one of the positive things about lockdown mm. is that, you know, um, certainly around me, there's been quite a lot of um, community organised assistance for, you know, uh, single households and the elderly to with shopping and so on so you know it's actually in some ways it's been a, a good thing for you know a community spirit
0: mm, and, and people being able to talk to each other and i guess that's the whole thing about boundary you know is yes you've got the you know the physical and the the legal but it's just about talking to each other and agreeing what's best
1: yeah so you know. i you know boundary disputes in most cases can be put down originally to some element of poor communication so somebody has done some work to the boundary without properly informing their neighbours without getting their neighbours not necessarily consent because it may not be consent may not be required legally but you know boundary disputes never seem to start as a matter of law they start because people fall out with other people and then you get into this vicious cycle where by um, one neighbor, they they have a change in perception. So somebody does something wrong, it was perceived to be wrong, and the other neighbor gets upset about it. And then you very quickly descend into a situation where both neighbors perceive everything the other neighbor does as being a negative thing designed sometimes to annoy the neighbors. I mean, I've seen in, in, in plenty of boundary disputes witness statements people saying and they took their bins out at the same time as me <laughs> and you know how outrageous and uh, they were just doing that to why me up no, no actually they were doing it because the bin men come round at that time every week and they were taking their bins out so they could get hey them.
0: we we stalk our neighbors because we can never <laughs> remember which color bin is due to go no, out
1: <laughs> i do exactly the same thing although we've now we've we've become very organized in the last few months and we now have it on the calendar but for for the first five or six years in this house, I had to go out and check every Thursday night, which bins my neighbour had out, because he was very organised. So I could see whether it was a, a recycling week or not.
0: And how things could be misinterpreted, eh? So um, a few people in the survey have asked some questions, yep. looking through them. Uh, perhaps if you could just sort of clarify, you know, they've referred to PWA, which I take to be Party Wall Act. For those students and me, could you just explain what that is?
1: Okay, so the Party Wall Etc Act 1996 is um, an Act of Parliament which is a modernisation of uh, statute which applied only to London and which goes back really several hundred years and which governed the way party walls and the areas in the immediate vicinity of boundaries between properties should be dealt with as between neighbouring owners. But in 1996, the Private Members Bill was passed by, um, introduced by John Lytton, um, Lord Lytton, and then passed as an Act of Parliament, which spread out that jurisdiction to all of England and Wales. And that's where we currently are. So the 1996 Act applies when you want to do something to the wall which separates your property from your neighbour's property, the classic is a, a terraced house and you, sh- you share a wall separating those two properties. That's a party wall. So if I want to build an extension, uh, a roof extension, for example, I need to increase the height of the party wall to do so. Um, it, if it weren't for the party wall act, I, uh, that would be a trespass and or potentially a nuisance because it would involve me um, building, laying bricks on partly on my neighbour's property because the assumption is that the boundary runs down the centre line of the party wall. Um, So the Act covers works to uh, the the party wall itself, and then it covers excavations um, within a certain distance of your neighbour's property, because obviously if you start digging large holes next to a building that can um, have a rather negative impact on the building if you uh, if you don't do it properly and with proper safeguards and it also covers if you if there is no party wall or boundary wall putting a new wall um, in at, at or about the, li- the boundary line the line of junction as it's called in in the act for reasons mm-hmm. that nobody can really properly explain
0: and I guess there's a lot of shortcuts taken, you know. You, you know, here's me saying I don't know anything about it. Actually, it just it just reminded me um, a few years ago. Uh, so I live in a Victorian semi. A few years ago, my neighbors were having a loft conversion, uh, so I had scaffolding outside and and various uh, you know various things going on. And one Christmas, I went up to get my Christmas decorations out, and there were these you know holes through the wall and scaffolding everywhere. And when we didn't really know our neighbours at the time, but when I went to speak to them, you know, said, you know, I don't think you should be putting holes through there, or at least can we talk about that? And he said, it's fine, I'll come round with a builder, you know. And so it, it was sort of quite funny because the neighbour the neighbor and his builder came round, typical builder, with the plans. And uh, myself and my husband looked at the, the plans because... One of the problems is they were taking down a chimney breast, and ours was still, still, in, it sort of still there, and um, we had just literally had all of this waffle. You know, it's all right, little lady, don't worry, we'll make good. And you know, we just looked at. I remember my husband looking at these plans and said, "Well, unfortunately for you, I'm a civil engineer. She's a chartered surveyor, and there's no scale on that drawing." <laughs> and you know, I, you know, my neighbour wasn't happy at first because you know, they got a potty wall surveyor in, you know, they had drawings and things done and it cost them a lot of money, but actually it protected them because the work that the builder was going to do in terms of taking this <coughs> chimney breast down actually would have, you know, caused some real damage and potential collapse and would have affected our property. So it, so in the end, it was in a protective thing, but so many people, I guess, either aren't aware or don't know where to turn and you then see these bodged jobs, which is when then your ordinary surveyor going out doing the inspection so, needs to be vigilant
1: yeah the, the you know the basic idea behind the act, which is that it facilitates development on the path of a building owner the person who wants to carry out work and at the same time protects the interests of the adjoining owner, the person whose property is potentially going to be affected by those works, that's a great idea. and in a lot of the time, you know, assuming that the act is actually engaged, it works very well. Um, but there are two i suppose two main problem areas. the one is where people just get on and do stuff without invoking the act and that can cause problems because things aren't done properly things aren't done with sufficient regard to the to the neighbor and so on although you'd be surprised how often it just happens and nobody's any the wiser and everybody moves on and forgets about it I mean that that happens a great deal at the time and the other problem I think is where um, potentially uh, party wall surveyors make something of a mountain out of a molehill so it's very minor works and because the act's been invoked uh, there's a big song and dance about producing an award an inordinate amount of time is spent and therefore an inordinate amount of money is spent on producing this award and so forth some very minor extension which barely engages with the party wall at all Mm. building owners left with a bill of several thousand pounds in relation to works which you know, as far as their notifiable works, as, as far as their actually works under the Act, probably cost less than the award does to make. And that is the sort of case which gives party war surveyors or some party war surveyors a bad name and ends up, you know, being discussed on Radio 4 uh, and so on. Mm. So, you know, that that is a problem area.
0: So some of the questions that the surveyors in the group have um, asked is, or, and some of the things that they see is when... They go to a property and they see that the owner or the neighbour has built right up to the wall, and I guess it's sort of squeezing every last centimetre out of you know, of their boundary, you know, of their property. What are some of the issues with that, and what are some of the things surveyors need to watch out for?
1: There are really a couple of things from a surveyor's perspective. First of all, they need to think in in terms of the Party Wall Act and what works the person who's building right up to this boundary war or, or potentially party war, whether any of those works actually constitute notifiable works under the Act and therefore whether they should have served a notice in respect of them. Um, but also surveyors, you know, should always be looking for the practical implications of the works which they're having a look at. So, you know, it's a very common situation that people will build just a little bit back from the boundary in order to avoid invoking the Party Wall Act. But what that does is it potentially introduces a physical gap between this new extension of the building owner's building and an existing wall, which um, not only causes difficulties in terms of maintenance of that original wall, uh, makes it quite often more or less impossible to maintain, but also introduces a, a weathering issue because um you know you can end up with debris getting caught between the two walls and then getting wet and then causing damp issues so you know weathering the gap is always uh, weathering and sometimes insulating actually the gap is is always a, a factor in these cases
0: so you are you allowed to build right up to the line
1: well you can you can build on you know unless you engage the party wall act and I'll come on to how you might do that you can build right up to the edge of your property. You may have practical difficulties in doing that because if you have a wall, the face of which is aligned with the boundary line, then reaching over to lay the bricks for that wall would itself be a trespass. So even if you're working overhand, that would potentially be a trespass, which is why if you're building a new wall at the line of junction, section one of the act does apply and you know you 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 can you know one of the great things about the act is that it does actually facilitate access for works at, at the line of junction at the boundary line um so you know if you are building a new wall at the line of boundary at the line of junction you can potentially gain access to your neighbor's land in order to do that job properly and of course it's um although adjoining owners are often rather unhappy with that as a prospect it's actually very sensible for them to allow access, even if it were not permitted, because otherwise you end up with a very ugly wall. Because um, mm. you know, working overhand, you can't get a very good finish on the wall. Um, you'll drop, you'll drop mortar snots on the ground, and so on. So it, it's generally, and I would generally say to adjoining owners in that situation, look, it's much better for you to allow access on terms and on, on, on it for a limited period to a building owner to actually do those works because that will um you'll end up with a a much more attractive finish for the wall that you can actually see
0: Mm, and hope you know and then hope in turn hopefully the job then done properly can i ask then you mentioned a trespass so so this is a for example you've got you have a window that then opens up over the line of the the boundary of your neighbor or or if you (laughs) have a gutter that then you know Uh, Overhangs. If you if you've got that, then is that allowed? I mean, what do people then do?
1: Let's say that you're building up to the line of junction, and you have a window, and you put in a window that opens onto your neighbour's land. So you, as you open it, your hand and the window is encroaching on your neighbour's land. That is a trespass, and that could be prevented by injunction. Equally, if you um, you might build a wall with eaves and gutter which overhang a boundary line that too is a trespass or potentially a trespass if the opening window and the eaves and gutter remain in situ for more than 20 years then that trespass can mature into an easement into a right to maintain it there Um, so And it's it's actually very common to have an an easement of eavesdrop, as it's called, which is for the eaves and the gutters to overhang the neighbour's property. It doesn't mean that you acquire title to that part of your neighbour's property. It just means that you are entitled to retain that overhang. Save, of course, that the party wall act. If the neighbour then, at some future point in time, wants to build right up against the boundary line and their building would be prevented by your overhanging eaves then the act allows you to cut off projections over your land so the act actually facilitates that that situation as well quite well
0: and so what if say the gutters which are then overhanging then block and are constantly you know dribbling down and causing Well, that would staining, be you know the, that would, if the,
1: if, if the gutters get blocked and start uh and you start having water overflowing into the neighbor's land that would constitute a nuisance so again that's something that could be prevented by injunction if it, if it were necessary um, of course the other point is that the the neighbor with the overhanging gutters wouldn't have generally have a right of access to clear those gutters yeah, yeah. Uh, from the neighbor's land but you know a lot of being a neighbour involves give and take. Uh, Now, unfortunately, I I make my living from people who decide that they're not really interested in give and take. But, you know, to be a successful neighbour really does require some give and take and and reasonable communication.
0: So if a surveyor is going to a property and sees the window or the gutter over the boundary boundary lines what they would typically do i guess is flag it in their report and then refer to legal advisors or the conveyancers and would they then well, I take flag it. the party wall act or? well
1: you know that that almost smacks of encouraging boundary disputes i mean i, I have a i have something of a bugbear about surveyors asked to you know provide some sort of boundary report to an owner of property who then produce what describes itself as a boundary report but actually is just words that they've written which are meaningless in law and which then go on to to provoke um, a, a very expensive boundary dispute so i would generally say that unless you are being instructed as preferably as a land surveyor to measure what is on the ground and potentially to compare that with title plans by which i don't mean land registry title plans i mean relevant conveyance plans i as a surveyor would do my damnedest to avoid highlighting too much by way of uh, potential boundary issues i mean it, it of course it depends on the context And you might be being asked about um uh, you might be being asked in the context of a potential boundary dispute you know what what are potential points of contention here you know what are what are the strengths and weaknesses of my position in which case, yes, they should be flagging overhanging gutters or opening windows and so on but there there is a de- you know in an evaluation report uh, I would certainly would not be making a big sum and dance about potential boundary issues unless there was reason to think that there was an existing boundary problem unless the property information form had indicated that there was a uh, an existing boundary issue
0: and I guess that's a a balance of letting the client know that you know this thing exists uh, that there may be a potential issue with maintenance Uh, obviously you know, depends what turns what the matter is, but I think that's really encouraging to set to to highlight it in a sort of quite a pragmatic way to say, look, this is what it is. You know, yeah, you're, it, gonna have, it, you're gonna have you're gonna have to it, talk to your neighbour about how best to address this sometimes. Hmm. And I
1: think you know one thing that it would be really useful for surveyors to know about boundaries is that it's it you know to to determine a boundary to within let's say 250 mil is. An incredibly difficult exercise, and so and, and most boundary disputes end up being about a width less than that. Some of them more, but many of them less. And you need to be very careful not to say something which is going to provoke, uh, particularly provoke unnecessarily, a boundary dispute. So yes, by all means, uh, you know you you might if there's something really obvious you know if if there is a a fence which uh, sorry a wall the face of which continues into the face of the of the house and then so there's a very clear boundary apparent boundary line and then there's an overhanging eaves and gutters above that you might note that but then you know if that house was built more than 20 years ago so what it's it's a it, it's not um, in practical terms, an issue uh, unless the neighbour's going to be difficult about clearing clearing gutters. Mm.
0: Okay. Let me ask you about costs, because when you hear about these boundary disputes, which end up in the Daily Mail or whatever paper you prefer, there's usually big costs involved and lawyers and maybe QCs make loads of megabucks out of it. What's the situation with costs um, Daniel's asked about you know what's the most disproportionate party wall costs that spring to mind and what for
1: well okay so so party wall costs I'm just thinking about various various cases flicking through my uh, mind here in terms of disproportionate party wall costs I think the the case which most commonly ends up with somebody taking somebody else to court is what is Perceived to be excessive, adjoining owners' surveyors' costs in party wall cases. So you know you might say that a, a run of the mill party wall award ought to cost something like a £1, thousand, twelve hundred pounds, maybe fifteen hundred pounds per surveyor to produce, and yet you do see cases where the party wall surveyors, in particular the adjoining owners' surveyor is charging £10,000, £15,000 for an award, or maybe for more than one award, but in relation to one set of works. And it's that kind of level of fee in party war matters which um, tends to get building owners exercised to a sufficient extent that they will then appeal the award because they're appealing the um, the. Money granted or awarded to the adjoining owner surveyor in terms of litigation, generally, you know a boundary dispute or a party wall dispute will often run to fifty thousand or one hundred thousand pounds per side to get to a final resolution. so you're talking really large amounts of money, and it's you know there's a there's a judge I know in fact, the judge who was my pupil supervisor very, very many years ago who um regularly um, when he has parties into his room to give directions to set a timetable for, for um, boundary disputes in particular he will slap a sheaf of newspaper cuttings largely Daily Mail newspaper cuttings onto his table to say you know to emphasize to the parties that these sort of disputes are very bitter they're very expensive and it is not unheard of for one of the parties to end up losing their house
0: mm.
1: over a dispute which is about a few inches of land um, and I guess
0: yeah and I guess really that's where we as professionals you know whether solicitors or or, or surveyors have actually got to think about this ethically you know of is it right to charge such high fees you know is it right to instigate world war three between two neighbors because we happen to have spotted a you know something that overhangs something else and i guess approaching it in a not in a pragmatic way but a, in an ethical way of you know we've passed we've got a really key play a key role to play in smoothing the waters yeah, over you know in a
1: party in a party war context you know the 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 surveyor's role is explicitly dispute resolution. It's not supposed to be about dispute creation. And there is sometimes a tendency for party wall surveyors to become a little too entrenched in their own views and, you know, to insist on a point um, because they think it's right, even though it's not in their appointing owner's interest to pursue that point because it's just too expensive. You know, they're arguing about it's, you know, it's a classic kind of lawyer situation where you spend more arguing about the item in question than the item in question is actually worth, you know, which makes the whole thing uh, a, a ridiculous exercise. Mm. So. Uh, you know, it's absolutely something which surveyors should be very alive to, which is keeping the costs and their fees proportionate to the dispute in question.
0: What about the relationship between the two professions, you know, litigation solicitor and a surveyor? I mean, do they get on? (laughs) Are there any tips on how to, how Um, surveyors can work better with litigation surveyors?
1: Well, surveyors... My, you know, in my experiences, surveyors are obviously lovely people, and they tend to get on. When well, you with... would say
0: that, Nick, <laughs> <wouldn't you? laughs>
1: they, they, you know, they tend to be quite sociable people and reasonable people. Not, you know, I'm not saying they always display those qualities at every opportunity. um You know, but they are professionals used to. I think actually, contrary to what you said at the outset, I, you know, my experience is that surveyors are actually quite used to dealing with members of the public, and you know, from a property professional perspective um the su- surveyor is probably the first property professional that most lay people will come across um in terms of surveyors getting on with lawyers i mean we of course are incredibly easy to get on with I, that's obviously not true at all um, <laughs> yeah you're smoking
0: here i think, here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you know there may be differences between solicitors and barristers indeed I mean I think traditionally one would say that solicitors were you were like I've just said surveyors are solicitors um, are used to meeting people and dealing with members of the public on a regular basis whereas barristers traditionally were insulated from members of the public by other professionals in particular by solicitors and so I do remember some comment from somebody a few years ago about how you know, basically, all barristers, one way or another, are autistic and have zero social skills. And, you know, it's the job of the solicitor to bridge the enormous gap between, uh, in terms of communication skills between um, members of the public and the bar. Um, Do you know
0: what? That's a really interesting point, though, because I think within our different professions, we all have our superpowers, you know, and I come across um, a lot of surveyors who are actually dyslexic. And, uh, you know, uh, and you saying, you know, about whether it's tongue in cheek or not about barristers being autistic. You know, just because we have some of those what might be be seen as challenges, actually, it means we have a heightened sense of, you know, what we're good at and being tuned into a piece of work, clients. You know, we all have our our um, our superpowers, our zones of, of of genius, and I think we can work well in that. It's when sometimes we need to work across professions. It can perhaps sort of sort yeah, I mean, fall apart or, or
1: I, I, I personally have, you know, don't see any difficulty in professions, you know, interacting with each other on a uh, positive, constructive basis. Um, albeit, I absolutely recognise what you say about um, you know different professions having their superpowers. I mean, you know, I might say, for example, that. Surveyors are far, far better than barristers and solicitors as a general rule at reading plans you know and and perhaps that's entirely understandable, but it 's absolutely true, and you know there are certainly a lot of barristers out there who you know would need you to explain to them exactly how you put together a building or a, or a wall for them to be able to understand that well enough to tell the story of that in court Mm. it helps of course if somebody's specialist you know if you if you do you know I used to work my my first chambers was a chambers that did a lot of medical negligence and you know there were there were people in that chambers who knew more about asbestos related disease than you know many well certainly most GPs and probably many consultants so you you do pick up at the bar certain areas of very specialist knowledge, you know, and so you know, with with my practice, I've spent an awful lot of time um, looking at how walls and buildings are put together and uh, understanding. Ah,
0: so, so really, are you a secret surveyor? Would you like to come over to the dark
1: side? I, 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 to be honest, I'm not sure it would pay. But,
0: well, I was about that. to say, it won't pay the same, um, just to
1: um, let you know. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, I, I do find it, uh, you know, I find well i find lots of things very interesting but i find surveying very interesting um you know i find buildings very interesting so and i find you know land property all of it quite interesting so i don't i, I can't see myself handing in my wig and gown and um you know and applying for membership of the rics just yet in the same way i think i you know my daughter and i went on this plastering course a few weekends ago and i spent last weekend plastering my sister in laws spare bedroom ceiling at the end of which I was absolutely exhausted <laughs> and uh, that's
0: someone that's someone else's superpower that's absolutely
1: a... <laughs> that was that, that, that vastly increased my respect for plaster mm-hmm. as i tell you.
0: got one more question from Simon who talked about enclosure costs yep and he used the word nonsense can you explain what an enclosure cost is and why they might be controversial
1: well under the Party Wall Act, there is a section, I think it's section eleven eleven, in which if somebody has put up a party wall, so let's say the uh, you know the, the original building owner has built a party wall because he's building a rear extension to his property. And so he has removed a fence and he's replaced it with a modern brick built wall which now is a party wall but which forms the side wall of his rear extension. The neighbour then wants to build his own rear extension and and wants to use that wall for the side wall of his extension as well. The act then allows the original building owner, the one who built at his own cost the wall, to recover from his neighbour now building his own extension half of the cost of building that wall at current current prices so that that is enclosure and enclosure costs i'm not quite sure why that's ridiculous perhaps that is that explained in your question
0: so he said where a party wall is built and a neighbour wishes to build against it when does the wall actually become an enclosure Recent case where the adjoining owner was literally building it, uh, building up to it with his own foundations and only using the external skill of the party wall, then expected to pay 50% of the wall. In my view, there is no loss to the building owner of someone else making use of the wall. So why should there be an enclosure cost at all?
1: Yeah, now there is an interesting little question about so if, let's say that in that scenario I just talked about, where you've got somebody's built an extension and the the neighbour doesn't build right into that wall. So they don't, for example, they don't support their roof timbers on it. They don't fix anything to that wall. But because that wall is there, they don't need to have a watertight or as insulated wall on their own property. So they can build, for example, they could build a timber structure inside the line of that brick-built wall and they could support their their extension on that and that would be fine as far as building regs are concerned because it would be sufficiently insulated and it would be sufficiently watertight and it would be you know thermal and sound insulation would be would be adequate now there are sometimes arguments between surveyors in those circumstances as to whether the 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 new building owner the person putting up their timber framed extension is making use of the original building owner's extension wall and whether they therefore should contribute to the cost of it now my view or at least the view i'm going to express this evening is that in those circumstances there would be no requirement on the part of the second building owner the one with his timber framed extension to pay anything to the original building owner in respect of his brick wall because he's not making use of it he is simply building up against it so i think that's that's the scenario that your questioner was asking about
0: super well look nick it's been really good to talk to you today. thank you very much
1: my pleasure um i hope you i hope your listeners will find it
0: somewhere. you know what we, we've got the surveyor hub fan club of, <laughs> <laughs> say thank you very much nick <laughs> that's great Perfect. thank you so thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do love hearing your feedback. So please feel free to drop me a message. You can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at marion surveyor.